Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. Welcome back to another edition of Covered in Glory, where we are fresh off the international break. Brett, people talk about how there's way too many games for soccer players nowadays, but they do not talk enough about how there's too much action for soccer podcasters. I took the international break off. I spent it mentally on a beach in Ibiza. I feel refreshed and recharged. Didn't watch much of the qualification action. Of course, that's where my brain was. My body was as busy as it's ever been in my entire life. How did you spend the international break? Uh, sending you screenshots of the Gibraltar <laughs> Netherlands That is match, true. You did do that. Trying to figure out uh, where starting uh, attacking mids for Ireland actually played professional soccer because you could have given me 50 guesses and I didn't know where they were from. So, yeah, uh, I did the opposite of you. I just dove, I just dove right in and celebrated Scott, Scott McTominay Magic <laughs> Week. So, oh, yeah, Scott McTominay brace, baby. Just because yeah. I wasn't watching doesn't mean I'm not still alive. I mean, you can't yeah. walk anywhere on the streets where people are talking about the McTominay magic. There, there's nothing like international soccer where some team outshoots another team 51 and to zero. Nathan Ake has nine shots and Scott McTominay has two goals. So bring me 48 <laughs> teams to the World Cup. This is what I want to see. Oh, look who's come around from the last time we talked about this. Noted. That was sarcasm. That was sarcasm. No, 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 Brett Corvitos is just piling on after. I do not need to see Scott McTominay scoring goals in a World Cup. Pass. pass. (laughs) All right. Well, I don't think you have to worry about the scoring goals part, but you might still see Gibraltar qualify eventually. Oh, boy. (laughs) Take the Uh, overrun shots for their opponent, then, apparently. (laughs) So uh, after a break like this, same thing happens to me every time. It's kind of like rebooting a Microsoft computer and, like, clearing out all the crap. I tend to just readjust to my gut feelings and get all the, you know, what's built up crud in my brain out of there. So I have a feeling it's a better place to be when I'm looking at handicapping these matches. But let's find out, shall we? Let's do it, man. We got to jump right in. We got to one big interesting game and then some big interesting news that we get to discuss. That is true. The scheduling gods have smiled upon us after a, a couple of weeks off and we are returning to an absolute firecracker of a match. Manchester City second at 61 points versus Liverpool sixth at 42 points. This game is Saturday at 7:30 a.m. It is the early game. Manchester City is minus 170. Liverpool is plus 440. The draw is plus 310. Manchester City minus half a goal is minus 175. Pool is plus 135. So, Brett, the last two times we saw Liverpool, it was a 1-0 loss to Bournemouth and a 1-0 loss to Real Madrid, which knocked them out of the Champions League. Meanwhile, the last two times we saw Manchester City, they won a combined 13-0. to So I personally, back to what I was talking about at the beginning of getting the crap out of my brain, I'm planning on not overthinking this, but overthinking is your absolute favorite. (laughs) So are you seeing any reason not to grab City here? Uh, Yeah, actually I am. And it starts with the fact that I actually was going to throw this back to you. 
uh, because you you have emotion towards your teams. I, I don't. I just have cold, mean comments. Um, but, you know, the fact that Phil Foden's going to be out with appendicitis, uh, no return date. Erling Haaland got hurt in the match against Burnley, the the big FA Cup match. Uh, again, I don't know why I'm doing air quotes on a podcast, but um, but I mean the the big FA Cup match against uh, Burnley, and now they're both out. So two of City's three best attackers are not going to be playing. My big question though is why do we keep seeing managers? And we're not we're obviously not from England. We know the glory of the FA Cup in the old days and all that stuff weighing us down. Why? Why was Holland in that match against Burnley? Like, why? Have they, have they punted the title race? Like, I need, I need a hot take. Come in spicy. Is Pep losing hot, his mind? No, I don't think this is a hot take. The FA Cup absolutely matters. That is absolutely silverware that's worth putting in your trophy case. I mean, like, ask a Spurs fan what they would kill for to get the FA Cup after going trophyless for whatever it is, fifteen years now. And I think if you're going to throw it away, you have to throw it away early. Otherwise, some calls fallacy really starts to kick in, right? Like once you make it to the quarterfinals, that's actually yeah, you, you're right. Yeah, you say you want to go ahead and win this thing. If you're going to bow out and you're going to throw it away, throw it away in December or November when you're not into the title thick of it, and you can save five or six matches on their legs. And so, I'm not going to blame Pep quite as much as you for playing Holland in that game. I mean, I don't know exactly when he got hurt. You could probably criticize him for not pulling him once they're up 2 0 to Burnley and leaving him in a little beyond that. But overall, I mean, it is the oldest cup competition in the world and silverware that I'm always happy when Chelsea wins. Yeah, I guess I just look at it, you know, when you're going through the grind that these guys are going through, especially in the middle of a World Cup year and an unprecedented break in the middle of winter for the World Cup, you have. You know, you have to realize that you're playing human beings like these guys aren't robots. And so, you know, I kind of look at where they are in the in the title race. Right. So they have a game. They have a game in hand on Arsenal. I believe Arsenal played. Yes. I'm pulling them now. 28 matches. City of 27. They're sitting eight points behind. So if they win, they're five points behind. Like this is still a closable gap to me. Oh, yeah. And so it's like if you're going to prioritize FA Cup. Uh, Champions League and Premier League title doesn't FA Cup go third? Well, of course, I mean, do you of course, really got, need no, Holland no. to beat Burnley. Like I, that's, I guess, I guess that's where that's where I kind of want to throw a little more criticism. Pep's way is like, I get it's right before the international break. I understand like the timing of it. You just play him, and then whatever he goes to his team, Norway maybe does whatever with him. It's out of his control. But like, I just feel like you got to be cautious there, right? No, I mean, you just said something that is critical. Like he he benches them versus Burnley and he takes a game off his legs and then Norway plays them 180 minutes at high intensity the most that they can. I mean, so like just the way that the absolute top players in the world carry commitments for both club and country, there's almost no way to manage them effectively because you're not even in fully control of the minutes that they have. So I, I don't know. I mean, they could have pulled them early. You're right that maybe they didn't uh, need them to beat Burnley. Um, but, I, but what you're saying, I think, is more interesting with the Champions League approaching. So like with Haaland carrying this knock now, like they're saying that he hasn't been ruled out quite yet. Is there a chance we see him against Liverpool? Maybe. Is there a chance that we see him next week? I think it's Southampton maybe or uh, next weekend. Or are they just going to keep him in, in um, bubble wrap until they have to play that killer Bayern Munich quarterfinal in the champions league the following week and so like if they're going to prioritize one thing if you're you know going to stack rank these fa cup is definitely third but champions league is first 
uh, given you know the the trophy cabinet that they currently possess. So I think that the point that you're making is a valid one. I just think it's going to be interesting going forward rather than looking at it two weeks in arrears. Yeah, and I mean, you get into a really interesting debate, which we won't go down that rabbit hole because we want to get to the matches too, of like the fact that obviously national team commitments and then club commitments, those two those two entities don't work together, right? Like Pep doesn't feel like he's responsible for having to rest him for his use in Norway. Norway doesn't feel like they're responsible for Holland's commitments to city. And then this is where players end up getting hurt. And then, and then it's not even so much the fact that like, what does it do to city styles chances? It's like from the entertainment aspect, nobody wants to see Erling Holland on the sidelines. We want to see him on the pitch doing crazy stuff with scoring goals. Right. So uh, yeah. it's a, it's a different, it's a difficult situation. I do feel like, you know, these guys are so hell bent on winning every match that's in front of them that they lose sight of the forest for the trees sometimes. And when you're going to, when you have a chance to maybe only be five points back for the, uh, the title, and then you have these big matchups against Bayern Munich in the champions league. And that's the competition that you really want. You do have to bite the bullets somewhere. Like you can't just do this thing where you're trying to win across all fronts. You know, it's the Arsene Wenger way of of rotating people. You rotated guys and they got hurt. Like that's like, haven't we come further than that in the last few years, especially with what we know on sports science? But as far as this yeah. match is concerned, I will say this: no Hala, no Foden. Pep weirdly calling out KDB and then leaving him in. I think for the entirety of the Burnley match, um, it's going to make things interesting for me. I, 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 I know that that Liverpool obviously didn't look great and it's going to come down to me to lineups again for Liverpool. So tentatively I am cowards way out. I am taking the draw at plus three twenty. You can't tell me one out of every three uh, times that this team, these teams play, it doesn't end in a stalemate, but it will come down to the fact that I don't know what Klopp is going to do, especially since he rolled out a four, two, three, one with James Milner. As part of a double pivot, the corpse yeah. of James Milner as part of the double pivot. I need to see that start at 11, Toby. But I, right now I'm going cowards way out with the drop. Yeah, I, I obviously agree with you on the starting 11 is going to be critical and which way you actually want to bet this match at the end. But you just said a whole lot of words about Manchester City injuries. You didn't say a single word about Liverpool injuries. Uh, they have Thiago's out. Uh, Nunez is, you know, at least carrying a knock. I yeah. don't know if he's going to play or not. What Hendo, I think, is also uh, in doubt for the match. They're going to get a huge, huge, huge bump um, over the next month with Luis Diaz, Luis Diaz coming back. back yeah. A a huge a favorite of the pod of both you and I. But he ain't mm-hmm. ready to come back and play ninety in this match. No. I don't know if he's even ready to play twenty. And so I think we'll be talking about him. Uh, hopefully. Hopefully, you know, April 8th, April 15th going forward, but I'm not sure he's going to impact this individual match. So uh, Holland is the headline here. Foden is important as well, uh, but it's not like Liverpool's carrying a full army into this battle. Um, so as such, I am going to stick with City. They are the better squad, even with uh, with Foden and Holland out. I still like the attacking uh, front that they can put forward more than Liverpool's and Liverpool continues to kind of struggle in that midfield. And and we're, we're 50, 50 on whether Van Dyke is uh, in decline. And so I think because of the title race that you keep bringing up because of the intensity with which they'll continue to chase it, because they don't have to turn around and play Bayern right away. uh, They do have another match before that. I like them to squeak out a win here, Uh, but I do for the, for what it's worth. I do agree with you on the numbers. 
Like if you're going to, if I'm saying what I'm willing to back well, in terms of outcomes, you're agreeing with me on taking the cowards way out. Is this a pod no. first? Oh, I, no. all right. Okay. I am agreeing. With I got you really excited that. for a second. I thought you were going to join me in my cowardice. I am not going to join you in the cowardice. Uh, I agree with what you're saying that one out of three times that a draw will be the end result here. And I could even see better than one out of four times Liverpool gets a win. So if you're playing like straight up EV and expected value, the other two bets probably have a little bit more positive correlation, but I've regretted to gut feeling here. And uh, I just think city's going to get the win. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, I can totally see that line. Obviously the Liverpool midfield questions are huge. Um, I mean, it also depends too on like what Harvey Elliott we're going to see if they play a, a four, if they go back to a four, three, three, where he was all over the place and doing things like winning the ball back, um, which is not like a thing that Harvey Elliott typically does, but he did that against United when they absolutely throttled them. Um, but I, I'm curious. I mean, I, I'm really curious to see because I, I don't know what a Foden list, how list team looks like. I am not super Jones to, to watch a city lineup of Jack Grealish, Riyad Mahrez, and your boy Alvarez as like the trident up top here. I I don't know if they're going to have the same punch. Uh, it's, so it's going to be interesting because it's like a weekend city attack versus an empty Liverpool midfield. What happens? And that's part of the reason why I kept going back to the draw is it just feels like these two things both kind of negate each other in a sense. Um, but I guess, you know, there are definitely arguments to be made towards city's direction. I do still think that overall the Kevin De Bruyne factor is pretty massively huge. Um, so, I mean, having him probably be the best creative player on the pitch, um, you know, close competition there with your boy Trent, who you love to rag on on the show, but, um, I don't know. I, I, I just couldn't get away from the fact that this, these matches always are nail biters. Allison is in rare shot stopping form and Ederson is the exact opposite of that. So like there's the goalkeeper factor as well that went into it. Um, so I, I kind of took that. And then I also took an interesting line and I can't believe I'm doing this. And you're kind of talking me out of this with all this midfield talk, but my prop bet was the under of one and a half team goals for city. Toby, tell me why that might be stupid. I don't think that's stupid. And it's not very far off from what, uh, what I'm going to throw out there. So I think, uh, cause I don't like the number the minus one seventy. I was just trying to figure out ways to adjust it. And once, once I decided city's going to win, it's just really picking a matter of whether uh pool is going to score or not. Cause I don't think this is going to be like, you know, a giant banger of a match because of all the injuries because of Holland and Foden. And I, I think the under one and a half is, uh, um, absolutely in play for city. Uh, so because I focus on that, because I don't think they're going to put out, you know, four or five or whatever they've been doing recently, I went with the clean sheet win. You could get both Ooh. teams. You can get both teams to score um, and city and city to win at plus 200, but the clean sheet win is plus 185. So you're getting very close odds once you think City's going to win. And then you just have to pick which way you think Liverpool will go. And given that really what they care about is the three points, given that they do have fixture congestion, given that they have Byron coming up, but they don't want to give out on this race, 1-0 absolutely works for Pep and company. So I'm expecting a grinded out game here, more than like the high flowering game we might have expected back in September. And um, 1-0, 2-0, I think are absolutely uh, high-valued high score lines. And be able to get both of them at plus 185 feels like good value to me. 
Yeah, I know. That's a really good bet. I mean, I, I kind of had trouble actually with props on this one um, just because I think a lot of it is going to be dependent on what we see from Liverpool starting 11. Um, but I, I think that's a good bet. I, I think a lot of this, again, is just going to be subject to change. Uh, you know, one of the, the pratfalls that I made um, <laughs> in a DFS mistake is, you know, when I saw Liverpool throw that 4-2-3-1 out with Gakpo, it was, I think it was Gakpo, Jota, Nunez, and Salah, is you see all these attackers on the pitch, and so you immediately think, oh, man, like high-scoring, high-flying games. But it's kind of the proof of like the old Premier League substitution pattern of if you're down to go, just throw a striker on is they couldn't control the match against Madrid. So like when you are reading these starting 11s, just as like a word of warning, also look and see, well, see if James Milner is playing in a double pivot, number one. Um, yeah. But just remember that like more attackers always doesn't equal more goals. Teams have to have the ability to move the ball up and down the field to get it into that final third. And that was what we saw Liverpool really struggle with by just trying to go for it against Madrid. So uh, again, I'm just going to be really keyed in. Uh, you could, if you ask me right before the match, I could completely change what my starting or what my prop bet's going to be. But as of now, I, I just think those bets are both good bets. I mean, I like the idea of city being down two of their three best attackers and having trouble scoring it as many goals, but you know, Liverpool, your bet also makes a lot of sense. I, I just think this game, this match is going to be entirely decided, decided by what Jurgen Klopp decides to do with his 11 players. Yeah, and I think the biggest threat typically to a City clean sheet victory, even though they now have five consecutive clean sheet victories, is what we always talk about with the late consolation goal. Yeah. Um, but when you get when if they're going to play a grinded out game, they're not going to be up three, four goals, which is usually when the consolation goal happens. And it also usually happens against inferior opponents. And since Liverpool has made this great charge since the new year, they no longer applies to them. Um I would say, though, if Pep, because to your point about the starting 11, like we could talk about James Milner and the double pivot and how that would change the bet. If Pep continues his really super weird KDB jihad and KDB is benched for this game, yeah, my, be my bet is void. My bet yeah. is void immediately. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah, I, like I said, we might be seeing the mad king here, but yeah, it's just that there's been a lot of bizarre stuff. I mean, Pep is definitely, you know, leaving himself open to having questions asked about his approach to a lot of things. And the crusade against our boy, our one of our Mount Rushmore players has just been odd. So, yeah. and he already shipped one, our one, another one of our Mount Rushmore players out of town. So he's playing in the Bundesliga now. All right. Well, unlike the mad King, I don't have any questions about our wonderful sponsors at Caesars and other places. So let's give them a love and we'll be right back. Your very first bet with Caesars Sportsbook, it's on Caesars. Just sign up with promo code OmahaFull, O-M-A-H-A-F-U-L-L. Then place your first bet. If you win, great. You keep your winnings. But if your first bet loses, you'll receive your stake back as a bonus bet. If you have a gambling problem in Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed to Horseshoe, Bossier, City, and Harris, New Orleans. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, which is 1-800-426-2537. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y 467-369.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Okay, next up we have Arsenal, first at 69 points versus Leeds, 14th at 26 points. This game is Saturday at 10 a.m. Start your Saturday off with a title chase double shot. We got Arsenal minus 370, Leeds plus 950, draw plus 460. Arsenal minus a goal and a half is minus 125. And our friends at Caesars have Leeds at minus 105. Uh, so, Brett, Leeds is without, you know, America's savior, Tyler Adams. And Arsenal's current form sheet is nothing but green boxes with six consecutive league victories. Meanwhile, Leeds has only kept one clean sheet in his last 10 games and allowed multiple goals to freaking Wolves the last time out. So yeah. I think this one can absolutely get ugly. So I have no other, other place to go than Gunners by multiple goals, minus a goal and a half, minus 125. Yeah, I the same way. I, I you know, I, I'm still not sure where Ty, Tyler Adams ranks in the hierarchy of like defensive midfielders in the Premier League. Obviously, it's still relatively early. Um, but it's a huge issue for Leeds for multiple reasons. One, with Mark Roca, who's usually his double pivot partner, he covers up the fact that Roca is not a super athletic specimen, and he can cover that ground around him. The joke, like the the drink water Conte joke of like, you know, they started Conte on both sides of Danny Drinkwater for that Leicester team. Um, that's sort of the the approximation to the Leeds level of what like Tyler Adams was doing. Um, Ms. Roca could do the passing, he could do the ball progression. You wouldn't have to worry about covering so much ground because Adams would do his thing that we saw him do in the World Cup, where he just run around everywhere and cover for him. The next hit is that there's really no one behind him on the Leeds bench that can like eat that position up. Um, I, I don't even know, like a gun to my head, I don't know who they would start um in that uh, uh, spot next to Roca because. Uh, Mateusz Klitsch, the Polish international, is now lighting up MLS, um, which is just a weird thing. That's a weird, <laughs> super weird sentence to say. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if, like, uh, Robin uh, Koch is going to move into the midfield. I don't know if Mike McKinney is going to be a part of a double pivot. I, I don't even know who Leeds is going to start next to him. Um, so this is a huge problem when you're going against the best team in the league. So I landed in the same spot there. And then again, without the ability to control the match in any degree whatsoever, um, the Arsenal win to zero, it's not great money. It's minus 105. But like if Leeds doesn't have anybody that can win the ball back, that can help him maintain a, an ounce of possession against one of the best passing teams in the world, like 
is this going to be like an 80% possession game for Arsenal against Leeds or something? So yeah. like, I just think that the shot suppression is going to be huge. And so really, even though you're not getting great juice on that line, like, I just think it's going to be really tough for Leeds to score goal. Yeah, I, I really couldn't agree more, uh, which leaves us time to talk about something I wanted to ask you about. Did you see ESPN's list of the top uh, 21 and under players in the world right now? Yeah, and it just made me sad that I forgot that Jude Bellingham has not actually turned 20 years old yet. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I did see the list. Did you see? Did you think Bellingham was worthy of the number one spot? I know you have mixed Absolutely. feelings on him. I have, I have no mixed feelings on him. I think he's awesome. <laughs> oh, I see. Oh, I see what you're doing. Yes. Uh, no, he clearly is awesome. He clearly is very deserving of the number one spot. Um, I, I mean, those lists are always tough too, because a lot of with those, a lot of those young guys, it's like context. Um, so I, I mean, I think Bellingham is obviously one of the best players in the world. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to quantify midfielders um, in a lot of ways. Um, but I think it was what him, he was number one. Pedro was number, Pedro was number two, right? Yeah. So you had two guys that like aren't classic goal scorers, which you typically see on those lists. But I also do think that the list was genuinely, generally in the right direction with a lot of the choices. And I, and Saka was three, right? And Martinelli was like seven. Hence why I bring it up. Yeah. Uh, so Saka was three on the list. Martinelli was also in the top 10. I mean, if you're an Arsenal fan, you have to be absolutely on cloud nine right now. You're not only clear of city by eight points, you're packing two of the best under 21 players in the world. And uh, I think both of them are deserving. And so given that I think they're deserving and given that I think Leeds is going to really struggle. And I think that, um, Arsenal's going to have a ton of the ball here. I'm taking the most creative guy on the field for an anytime goal scoring opportunity. Saka is plus 138. He scored twice the last last time out. He scored for England over the break. He's you know one of the top three young players in the world. He's on form and full of confidence. And I'm not sure how much longer you'll be able to get you know plus 140 for him to score a goal against a team like Leeds. And so I'm taking advantage of it while it lasts and putting that in this week. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the anytime goal scorer bets are going to be pretty good value just because the Leeds defenders are not actually good and then they just lost the shield that's in front of them. So, yikes, could be ugly. Good thing they fired Jesse March. That went well, real well for them. <laughs> okay, so enough about Arsenal and Leeds and let's move to the team that the entire world, of course, is talking about. Just kidding. They're really not. It's a battle of 10th versus 11th. This isn't the hot game that I would like it to be, but it's Chelsea 10 to 38 points versus Aston Villa 11 to 38 points Saturday at 1230 PM. It made me so sad to read that Chelsea and Aston Villa are have the exact same number of points this late in the season that really just hit home for me. Uh, Chelsea is minus 150. Aston Villa is plus 400. The draw is plus 280. Chelsea minus half a goal is minus 150. Caesars has Villa at plus 120 on their double chance. So, Brett, from my point of view, the break came at a really bad time for Aston Villa as they actually had a little bit of form beforehand, taking 10 points from 12 matches. Meanwhile, it came at a really good time for Chelsea as hopefully they'll forget blowing a lead not once but twice versus a truly dreadful Everton team uh, and a tie that definitely felt much more like a loss. Uh, but the headline to me in watching that match is something that we've been talking about for a long time. 
given the XG and the shot creation and the quality of players on the pitch, goals are finally starting to come for Chelsea. It even continued during the international break as Blues were scoring all over the world. You can't keep Kova out of the goal all of a sudden. Uh, but <laughs> at some point, it's going to click on both ends of the pitch and they'll combine you know, their typical excellent defending with a possibly potent attack. So I may absolutely go broke both emotionally and financially, continuing to bet on it, but I haven't gone bust quite yet. So I'm not just taking Chelsea. I'm adjusting the spread up to minus a goal to oh. half and plus 185, baby. Whoa. Whoa. Wow. We are coming on opposite corners then. Um, yeah, I I have not been able to understand uh, Chelsea in any way, shape, or form. Um, they had a, a decent run uh, before their last two matches against Leicester, which the scoreline favored them. The underlying numbers did not. Uh, obviously, the Everton game was just just dreadful and boosted in terms of raw XG totals by a penalty for Havertz. Um, who's wow. That, that development talk about things we should have bet on Kai Havertz being a awesome penalty taker for Chelsea. You would have thought, Oh, you uh, mean bet on it? Like I'm betting on it this week. Kai Havertz. No, I'm talking about the fact 150? that it's become a thing that he is the penalty guy. Like <laughs> before this season, what were the odds of that? Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, I think the, the one thing that, like sticks out to me is in their stretch where I thought they were sort of getting it together that culminated in the nice, in the good match against Dortmund and Dortmund's a pretty good team in world football. They're definitely not like title contending good as they are currently right now. Um, But you know, they just were really poor against like two pretty bad teams. And so I just can't trust them basically, Toby. I'm sorry. I know you do and want to have faith and they're your guys, but like, I took the Villa money line as the the bet for the most value because I you just it's hard to tell what Chelsea's going to so, show up. So you're getting plus four fifty for Villa to win outright. I I'm sorry. Don't be mad. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm not mad at all. The the range of outcomes for any Chelsea game are now so wide that you have to hunt to the edges of the range right. in order to find the correct value. Yeah, and because of this volatility, so like taking Chelsea just to win at minus one fifty isn't a good bet in my opinion. And that's why Agreed. I adjusted it up. So if you're going to have this volatility move, you know, across the spectrum one way or the other to actually find the proper value in betting on them. Yeah. And then that's what I think that's the way that I looked at it is if all outcomes are on a table, with the Chelsea match, you are making pure value pl- plays on these then, because that's what you're trying to figure out is if everything's on the table, what gives you the best chance the, to make the most money. Um, and for me, it was Villa winning plus four fifty. I again, it's just the, it's simple, you know, gut math. But do Villa win this match one out of every four times with the way that Chelsea's up and down? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, I took I took that one, and then the fact that the Villa attack has turned around, um, and Jao Felix has absolutely boosted the Chelsea attack. Um, I don't think goals are going to be an issue. So again, not a great number at minus one twenty, but I still think both the score yes at that number is a good play. Um, I do think that Chelsea is leaky. I'm sorry. I know that, but I, I, I don't think the double pivot of Kova. I love Kova. I love Enzo. I, I am on board with these two. I still don't think it's the, the defensive foundation probably that you need in front of a back three where Fofana is TBD is whether he's a good defender. And then you're, you're rotating uh, a not very good player 
and Kukurea, and then uh, Batashili, who's still sort of unproven. And uh, your boy, Kula Bali. Um, remember when he got stuffed in a locker by Ellis Sims? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so well, I, I'm a little, I'm, I'm just not there on Chelsea being so close to being the defensive juggernaut they were. So I do like both teams to score. Yeah, everybody's allowed uh, to have opinions, even when they're wrong. So I'll let you have another <laughs> mic to continue to share it. Batashiel is the one that I take the most issue with, with you taking shots out there, not Koulibaly. Uh, Batashiel is excellent. The fact that he's 21, the fact that he's left-footed, the fact that he's settled into the Premier League way faster than not only most Chelsea players, but most defenders have any right to, you know, even at his age. Uh, I am extraordinarily strong on him for both the present and the ongoing future. Uh, and Fafana, I mean, I think you're wrong on him as well. I think he's starting to show real signs of why they paid whatever it was, 80 million for him in the first place. So I think, you know, you can look at your spreadsheets or whatever you're looking at, but in actually watching the game, I have far more confidence in those guys than I do in Koulibaly, for example, or uh, 90 plus percent of other defenders that I'm watching in the Premier League. Yeah, I I mean, Fofana reminds me a lot of uh, John Stones when I was an ever a, a young Everton fan, uh, in the sense that you know he got a lot of press for being a good prospect, and I think guys that are always really good with the ball at their feet look good moving forward. Uh, Fofana's been uh, a surprisingly good threat now too on set pieces, which they've needed with Silva out. Um, kind of underscores the fact that, and this is not a spreadsheet thing. This is just me with my limited viewing uh, soccer knowledge in terms of positioning defensive stuff, which is always a little ambiguous. Um, just hasn't seemed super sound there. I'm not saying that he won't get there. He's also been hurt a lot. He hasn't had a lot of minutes, um, but I, I do think he's a great center back prospect. I'm not sure if he is like a super stalwart defender yet. So that's where yeah. I have my questions. Yeah, I, I think that's an important distinction. Uh, prospect versus, you know, finish, not finish, but current product. Uh, yeah. The future is brighter than the present. Uh, Absolutely. And I, and I, I, I along those lines, like I think Bata Shields, uh, Delta is a lot tighter than Fafana's. Like Fafana, where he is now versus where, you know, he might be three years from now, I think is a, a pretty, I'm making hand signals like people can see me. But it's a pretty, <laughs> I uh, can see it. I can, yeah. uh, I'll describe pretty, it with words. A, pre, a pretty wide range, but Batashiel, I think, has uh, maybe like 5% less potential than Fofana, but is like 90% of the way to a finished product already. That's a and great, like, I, that's a really great way of putting it. I think that's 100% spot on. And then it's also a good thing to to kind of remember too when you're making these bets and, and in terms of the volatility then that that can cause, right? So like, don't get caught up in just seeing Fofana scoring a couple of goals and be like, he's a finished product. He's ascending um, and don't get like discouraged when you don't see like Batashiel's numbers not being great in terms of maybe what he's doing with his carries or how many sh- uh, shots he's getting on set pieces. Um, but I think it's an excellent way to describe where those two guys are at. Uh, so I like your bet, Brett, and I like the way that you're thinking about it. But if you if you wanted to combine your thinking on the two things, like Aston Villa to win and also both teams will score, uh, and you want to take some of the risk out of it, particularly on a 2-2 draw, Aston Villa themselves to get over two goals, which would be required for both of your bets to win, is plus 295. So if you want to take uh, Brett's line of thinking, I, I think you're better off 
taking uh, Aston Villa to score twice at plus two ninety five, than taking you know both the both teams to score and the Aston Villa to win bets. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. And and again, Villa's attack's been weirdly potent lately. Um, I mean, not potent, I guess there's a relative turn to an average team like Villa, but like they've been putting up numbers. They've been creating pretty decent chances. So um, I like that. That's a great way to look at it, man. Toby's on fire, comes back from the uh, break and he is on fire. Well, I got the crap out of my head and get back to the gut. Uh, I don't know if this guy's on fire or not, but this guy is suddenly scoring. I've already revealed who I'm going to take. I almost beat you on the five pint last month. Almost. You did beat me, but I almost beat you solely off of Kai Havertz uh, brace. I came very, (laughs) very close to hitting it. You can't say you weren't even a little nervous Uh, after he got the penalty and he kept getting such great service on the box. He kind of blew a couple of headers that should have gone into the back of the net. Uh, But because he has the penalty equity because he still has the service and because I'm getting a, a nice plus number, I'm not going to do the eight fifty for him to score twice again. Uh, but I am going to do Kai Havertz anytime at plus plus one fifty, And this is starting to make its way into like a Rashford level portfolio bet for me. I don't think I'll be as profitable as I was on Rashford when he ripped off, like whatever it was, nine goals in 10 games. I just cashed it over and over and over again, but Kai Havertz to score uh, one out of two or two out of three, for the rest of the season, I, I like quite a bit. So let's get him in there at plus 150 and see how we can do. Love it. All right. Uh, we are due to take our second break, and then we will be back with my second favorite matchup of the weekend. Okay. This is a banger on Sunday. It is Newcastle fifth at 47 points versus Manchester United. Third at 50 points. Newcastle is plus 140. Caesars has Manchester United at plus 185. The draw is plus 240, which is a pretty tight range of outcomes here. Newcastle minus half a goal is plus 140. And United is minus 180. Uh, So, Brett, I think this game is awesome. Uh, and I think it's absolutely a three-pointer in the race for Champions League football. Manchester mm-hmm. United is currently minus 650. I think that's way too high, given that they have to play Newcastle in this matchup. And Newcastle is plus 110. That's to uh, qualify for the Champions League. I expect those odds to shift dramatically after this match. Without Casemiro and possibly without Rashford, who picked up a knock and had to withdraw from the England squad, United could be down their two most important players. Casemiro is definitely out through suspension. And I just don't think they're anywhere near the same quality of side without them. Of course, if I wanted to argue the other side of this, as you might, uh, I'd say that Newcastle has struggled again and again in these showdown matches. They lost to City. They lost to United. They lost to Liverpool in their last three opportunities to change the conversation about them. But I think when uh, with Isak finally back, and finally back in form, netting goals over and over again. That changes the liver. Uh, I'm sorry, that changes the Newcastle ceiling. It changes this game. And I think this is the time that Newcastle announced themselves fully as a favorite for that Champions League spot, not a plus number in front of them. So give me minus uh, plus 140 on the money line. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, you and I are in the same place. So opposite corners last match, same place this match. Um, I, I just think we've talked about this again. Ad nauseum is uh, Casemiro has been massively impactful um, for United and that suspension. I just think just puts them out of whack. And if Rashford misses the game or he's limited or he's just struggling to with his fitness, that's their best attacker then down too. So uh, I, they're really, to me, it, 
that number seems low. Like it feels like it should, or it, it feels like it should be like maybe like plus 110 or something. Um, so I really like it at plus 140. Um, and then for me, uh, the, the no brainer is that if you're picking Newcastle to win, I definitely think they're going to score goals because United is going to be down probably their best defensive player. So uh, Kieran Trippier has been unbelievable this year in terms of his chance creation. He, uh, I, this isn't necessarily like an Ace Ventura deep breath thing, but he leads, um, Newcastle and progressive passes passes into the penalty area, shot creating actions, and he takes all their set pieces and corner picks. So this dude is going to just be firing the ball into the box. Um, and he was plus three fifty for an assist. So if there's going to be a goal in this match, he is by far the most likely Newcastle player to play the ball in that this uh, shooter scores. So I really like that number plus three fifty. It's probably what well, it is you know, as you'll see in my five pint. It's one of my favorite bets of the week. Uh, but I am very curious to see where you go now because normally your United prop bets go one direction. Is Toby yeah. still going that way? Uh, I'm taking a bit of a hedge. I give you some love on your Trippier pick. I think that's excellent. Um, it's too late for me to steal it, but I can always bet it in real life, which I will be doing. <laughs> um, I'm going to take a bit of a hedge here. I'm going with both teams to score no at plus 110. Uh, because if I'm wrong about Newcastle, the one thing that uh, has in common besides taking a loss in their last three showdown matches is they also failed to score. They they took clean sheet losses against all three of those teams. Uh, so you get that side of the bet. And then if Rashford can't go, I am quite comfortable on betting on Woot Weghorst to not spoil this for me. <laughs> so if I'm getting if I'm getting Woot. Uh, a lead line with no Rashford behind him, and then Newcastle to not step up to the challenge here. And I'm getting a plus number for either side of those to not net the ball. I'll take that every time of the week. <laughs> the Woot Waghorse shout out on the pod. Yes, more, more, please, more Woot. Uh, I believe United fans would like to see less Woot, but somehow <laughs> Ten Hag keeps rolling him out there. Hey, man, he ties the team together. That's what he does. Okay, well, in most weeks, we would have spent a lot more time on that match, but we need to reserve a little bit of time for what's actually the biggest story in the Premier League since we left. That means we have to go to Everton, 15th at 26 points, versus Tottenham, 4th at 49 points. This game is Monday at 3 p.m. The Spurs are plus 115. The Everton is plus 250. Draw is plus 225. Caesars has Spurs minus half a goal at plus 115, and Everton at minus 145. All right, Brett, it's time to relitigate the Spurs in the wake of the Don Conte burning everything down on the way out of town. So, oh, such a weird said, ending, Toby. Who could have seen this coming? So Antonio Conte, he said it way more elegantly than me and way more handsomely, but he basically did the same thing I did with the Spurs three weeks ago and called them freaking losers on his way to getting fired as manager. I don't care if they're calling it mutual consent or not. That was glorious. So what does this story really tell us, Brett? Does it tell us that Conte is a serial arsonist and will flame out on every team that he ever manages? Does it tell us that the Spurs actually are losers and that their fans are delusional because of the uh, structures that they have in place there? Does it tell us that Harry Kane will be the best Premier League, uh, have the best Premier League career ever to never win a trophy, something we love to talk about in America. 
that Nagelsmann would be crazy to come here and that Pochettino would rather take a coin flip at the Real Madrid Madrid job this summer than coming back to the club that he supposedly loves. So does it tell us all of this? None of it? Go ahead and discuss. Uh, I just, all I know is that it was a bad week for Spurs because the one thing that we didn't mention, which won't really affect betting as much, uh, but their director of football also got caught up in the, the Juventus scandal uh, where they basically completely played a fun shell game with their finances. Uh, so I think it was Fabio uh, Paratici was, is also now basically banned. So Spurs had a bad week, just a bad week. They had an arsonist <laughs> go through their building and then they had another player base or another key member of their front office suspended. Um, I think Christian Stellini is their interim head manager right now. I have no idea if you ask me questions about anything he's done. I, they are a mess and I just yeah. don't know how this is coming from the guy that could talk about champions league teams. He could talk about championship teams. He can talk about like Serie B Serie B teams, but he cannot talk about Tottenham's current manager intelligently. Yeah. yeah it's just, it's a, I mean, we saw this coming, obviously Conte was trying to get fired for weeks. Um, and then he finally said the right, <laughs> the right combination of the words to make it happen. So if Mikey Meatballs, our producer, oh. ever goes out, I hope he goes out the same way, Toby. That's all I want. I mean, what was next? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Getting fired. Like, we can, uh, him, we can literally be like looking at him, like, you know, squatting down in the middle of the pitch and taking a duke and refusing to clean it up, which would be the worst <laughs> offense as any dog owner can tell you. I mean, there was no limit on what he was going to do to get chased out of London. Yeah, see, now you got me really thinking because I want to be like, wow, if they didn't fire him after he just basically called everybody in the organization a loser, what do you escalate to after that? <laughs> um, man, so, well, what are your takeaways? Besides, besides, the fact, besides the fact that they have an interim manager that even you don't know about, the fact, the fact that they're caught up now in, in some financial play shenanigans, the fact, despite the fact that they can't seem to find a top flight manager to take care of an alleged top flight club, what are your big takeaways here? Well, I think I think the biggest takeaway is I don't think Spurs have very many good players. Um, I think that's really what it comes down to. You know, we when you look at a lot of the research that's been done, and we talk about this on the podcast all the time, there are really only a handful of managers that actually make a noticeable difference in terms of improving performance over expectation. Conte was one of those guys, and he didn't really do that um, when he was here. And I think a lot of it is we've talked about, we have been circling the sun washed conversation for a while now. Um, I, Kuliszewski came out of the gates red hot. He has not done much since. Um, Richarlison was kind of an overrated purchase to begin with. Like he never really like had these dazzling numbers. He's also not as young as you think he is. Um, he's battled injuries as well. Um, and so he was supposed to be the rotated fourth attacker. Um, and then obviously there's Perisic who, who was Conte's guy, his war horse, the dude that he needed to bring with him to his next project. And he's very washed looking <laughs> at, at wing back, you know, and then they got Pedro Poro to try to get Conte another wing back that did something for him. Um, it's just been a really weird thing. Conte complained about the financial investment, but like they spent money. 
Like they spent money on dudes. They got him players. Maybe it wasn't the guys. And there, you know, there's been a lot of reports of the friction between he wanted established veteran guys. Levy, obviously, with the Spurs route, was trying to always go with younger guys that had some upside. Um, but one of the younger guys that they spent a bunch of money on with some upside was Eve Basuma. Basuma like barely plays. He's like 800 Premier League minutes this year. Um, and maybe Conte, we, you know, that's the one thing that we should trust. He's a great manager. So there's probably a reason maybe somebody like Basuma wasn't playing. There's maybe a reason why Richarlison wasn't playing. Um, and if that's the case, that means this talent level on this team is just not very good. Um, and so I don't know what manager comes in. Like, you know, Nagelsmann coming to, to Spurs at this point, what a massive drop-off in talent to go from someone like Joshua Kimmich, who's incredible, one of the best midfielders in the world, to Pierre Hoiberg. <laughs> um, who is fine. Like, whoever is like a perfectly average, like, Premier League midfielder. But, like, I don't know who is going to come in and, and can rearrange these pieces to make him good. I don't know who can take away all the minutes on Sun's legs and make him not wash. I mean, am I, I wrong exactly, in that assessment? No, I know exactly who could have done it, which is why Byron's my secret MVP in this whole story. Because if they oh, hadn't shocked fire Nottlesman, Tommy Tuchel would be moving the Tommy into Tuchel. right now. And there's actually no manager that I would trust more to get the most out of Spurs in the next year than Tommy Tactics, even more than Pep or Klopp that would probably require an overhaul to bring players into their system. A guy like Tommy Tactics would have sat right in that chair and kept them in Champions League football. But instead, my two words uh, that I will shout about them every time they come up on this podcast is fade Spurs. It's just a matter of how at this point. So minus 145 isn't a great number for the Everton double chance. So I have to pick one of the two. You said that I never do it, but I am going to take the rare draw bet for me. Ah, he did it. 225. Yes. Everton, Everton does not deserve full backing, but if they do come through, I'll be happy to pay <laughs> up my ticket and I'll get paid in straight low instead. So my double chance is either I win on the draw or I laugh my ass off all of Monday afternoon after Spurs blow another game. Yeah, I actually went all the way in. I went Everton uh, plus uh, it was a two thirty five uh, on the money line. I I just think you know we talk. There's the the big thing about the new manager bounce is that it's typically kind of mostly correlated with the fact that like. Teams are a combination of bad and unlucky for a number of games. A new guy comes in and then benefits from just like variance, right? And Spurs haven't been like super unlucky. Um, They've just been mostly bad. (laughs) And obviously, if there's a manager coming in that neither and I, you or I can name as bona fides, um, I just think that Everton's been a little bit better. We have clearly seen RIP Frank. Um, how undercoached <laughs> the Everton squad was under Lampard. Dice has organized them a little bit. Calvert Lewin's going to be back. Um, I, they've been friskier in attack than I expected when having to trot out the likes of Neil Malpe. Um, and I just think Spurs are a mess. Like, I don't know how the players can possibly be responding to a week in which your director of football gets suspended, your manager burns everything on his way out of town, and you're already on a slide. Like, yeah. Um, so I can't, I cannot believe they're in fourth place. I, like, it's, it's every, every time I read it, I can't believe it. I cannot believe that this team with this year, with this volatility, with this aging squad that lacks besides uh, Kane, anybody who's in like, you know, anything sniffing world-class form is a favorite to qual or not a favorite is in a current champions league position in the most rich 
and talent uh, dense league in the world, if not that we've like ever seen. Uh, yeah. And then everybody just wants to talk about like Conte was the problem. Like the Conte is a golden God for having these guys in a champions league position from what I can see. Yeah. And then the other thing that we talked about too, um, and I, again, this is a weird thing to say in a podcast, but you know, I sent you the, the tweet from one of the infographs that showed the slide, the performance slides after the world cup. And we, we hammer that point constantly that this team was the most vulnerable team with the number of key players that they had that were going to eat a ton of world cup minutes. And this fall off definitely has something to do with that. And that's why I don't think any manager can save them. I think any manager that would be coming in would be nuts to try to think that they could save them. I just think that they have a bunch of players that are worn out that are kind of on the downside of their peak or just weren't as good as we thought they were. And they're just in trouble. Like that's just the bottom line. Like they are in trouble. The fact that I'm money lining freaking Everton (laughs) against them tells me that they're in trouble. Um, and I, I'm going to compound that with continuing on the Ellis Sims bandwagon. <laughs> oh Let's God. go. The next not, great Everton hope. Everton that is not even a bandwagon. That is, yeah. That's more like a micro I'm starting machine. it. I'm literally, it's a, it's a basically like a two seat bike and I'm looking for somebody to hop on the back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, you need the second seat. Like if you have a basket and anybody's crazy enough to jump on, they don't need to be comfortable. They'll That's sit true. wherever. They've already lost That's their fine. Game. Just so if anybody wants to hop in the basket on my Ellis Sims bicycle bandwagon, feel free because it's starting right here. What are the uh, odds on Ellis Sims? Please enlighten us. Plus 280, buddy. Plus 280. All right. We're going to, if I wish we could do this, I just want to loop this whole conversation around a replay of him stuffing cool Valley in a locker. Next great Everton hope. Here he comes. Ellis Sims plus 280 bucket. Yeah. Uh, Mikey, please keep this clip noted somewhere because when Chelsea pays $80 million for him in two years, we're going to want to run this back. <laughs> uh, for me on, on the prop side, I am finding a way to fade both teams. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that's the real smart bet right there, everybody. So take my whole Ellis Sims away. That's the bet. Do what Toby the, does. <laughs> the best way I could find to do that is a nil-nil first half plus 165. That's really so good. So yeah. Sean Dice, Sean Dice only has a pass inter- passing interest of scoring in any game. And I have absolutely <laughs> no idea what to expect from Tottenham. Like they can come out with their hair on fire after being called losers by their next their now ex-manager, or they can come out like completely out of sorts since they've been playing a system very specific to that same ex-manager all year. And now we'll have to adjust coming off of an international break without even being able to like really train together. So plus 165. Seems like a really great number that any of these adjustments take a lot longer than 45 minutes. Yeah. And then that on a serious note, and this is something also for going far with Spurs, um, is they, uh, you know, Conte and, and Richarlison, obviously we made the big deal at him calling them out in the media for this, not changing up their tactics. But like, if they stick with a back three, Conte's preferred back three, it's going to be a back three managed by a guy that's not Antonio Conte. If they switch to a back four, who knows what is going to yeah. happen? Cause we haven't seen it. <laughs> so well, who who's playing in the midfield? Yeah. Who's playing in the midfield? Who's playing in a top right. midfield? Exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> so we, we have no idea what a formation change away from a back three would even look like. 
this is why like the, the bottom is so low for Spurs right now. If they finish like 10th this year, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, but like, we have no idea what's going to happen from this point out. We, we do, for all we know, Conte had his finger in every hole of the dike. And now that he's like, F you guys, F you losers, I'm out. That could just be the flood walls crashing in and everybody drowns in Spurs. So I, I think this is going to be a longstanding fade Spurs, watch the disaster unfold and hope the lines don't catch up as quickly as uh, your bets get in. They are still favored over Liverpool for Champions League qualification, which is, which is crazy to me. Liverpool is plus 210, Tottenham is plus 185, Manchester United is minus 650, Newcastle is plus 110. So they still feel like this is a three-team fight for that last spot. And I think it's Newcastle or Liverpool at this point pretty definitively. Yeah, I would agree 100% with that. Cool. All right. Well, we probably won't agree 100% on our five points, but let's give them out anyway. As previously mentioned, you definitely beat me in March. Uh, so congratulations to you. We'll get some suds your way. But now that it's April 1st, it is a brand new month. And it's time for me to come back and reclaim some beer for myself. I am going to do that with four plus money bets, Brett. I am Ooh. rolling the dice a little bit harder this week. We are going with Spurs, Everton, scoreless first half, plus 165, the one I just gave out. I love that bet. I kind of want to take it, but I'm not going to. Go ahead. New, Newcastle United, both score no, plus 110. Uh, ha- uh, the Havertz, anytime goal at plus 150. The one negative I am taking is Arsenal minus a goal and a half at minus 125. And then in our premier showdown, I am taking it, Brett. I am taking Man City win to nil. I don't have love for Liverpool this week at plus 185. All right. Well, I mean, I have, you know, is it, I can't even do it. Yeah, I do have four plus money, three plus money bets on my own, but I'm also doubling up points on the coward's way out. It's my one double up here. I am going to take the Liverpool City draw, which could be a scoreless draw. Who knows? Um, at plus 320. Uh, I'm also taking the uh, Trippier to assist at plus 350. Uh, um, then I'm going to take Arsenal minus one and a half at minus 130. And he's in. He's in the five pint because he haunts Cool Bali's dreams. Ellis Sims plus 280. Let's go. Anytime goal score. Wow. Bring it on. Wow. He probably, Neil Malpe is probably going to start somehow, anyways, but I'm going with Ellis Sims. I don't care. He's in the five pint. Kn- Put him in. I now wish I had just taken all five and put him on Manchester City, like. <laughs> Plus like five and a half, like some yes. unlosable bet. Because all I need is those five points to win. Yes, exactly. But that's why I let you go first. <laughs> yeah, that's smart of you. All right. Uh, this was fun this week. I'm glad to be back. I'm glad they brought such positive fixtures uh, to us on our return. And we will keep it rolling next week with our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis. Enjoy baseball, everybody. Take care, y'all.